The following was recorded live at our official panel at the Emerald City Comic Con on March 3rd, 2013. We think the event went pretty okay, which is Al speak for, oh my god, we fucking nailed it. So here it is, live before an audience. You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 117, covering The Inner Light and Time's Arrow. We are not going to live up to that music at we are, all. I don't know, we might be okay after that many gaps in it. I suppose that's true. Uh, for, those of you, for those of you who have listened to us before, you may recognize us. Uh, for the rest of you, we are the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast. We, we were are the guys at the... Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. We were the guys at the panel with the puppet earlier today. This guy? You might recognize him. Yeah. He will be signing autographs after the show. Yeah. I, you know I gotta operate the hand, right? Thanks thanks for that bus that you just threw me under. You're welcome. Al will be signing it will be pretending to Al will be forging William Shatner's autograph after the show. <laughs> My best, Bill. <laughs> uh, we should probably say this up front. The con guys said that we should rate our material at about PG thirteen. We might be saying a couple of F words, we might be very angry about things and, and lashing are out. Very passionate about Cursing. <laughs> Big cursing enthusiast. Yeah, That's us. it's the best. We're not going to top that. But if you're cool with that, we are too. All right, just just so you know, um, our audio guy here, um, slow starter, but great guy. Bob. He, he gets there in the end. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so let's get started. I'm Matt. I'm Al, uh, Ron Algar-Watt. Uh, on our podcast, every week we review two episodes of Star Trek. We have worked our way through the original series. We Into even TNG. Well, hang on. We did the animated we series. We did the animated series. Despite... They begged us not to, but yeah. we did the animated series. Damn it, I miss Emress. <laughs> we all miss Emress. Right. And, and Eric's, of course. Nobody. Oh, I'm, I'm oh, losing them. <laughs> we made our way through so the movies. Lonely. So lonely. Um, and we are five seasons through Next Generation. You are here to hear us review the final two episodes of season five, uh, The Inner Light. And Time Zero, part, part one. one. Right. Oddly enough, we have, a, we have a table upstairs. The writer of The Inner Light was sitting two tables away from us. And I couldn't tell if we should introduce ourselves and say, hi, we're about to talk about your episode, or just walk away. <laughs> nope, nope, nothing to see here. I, sh- nothing I showed up on Friday a little late. I come up to the table, and Al comes up to me and goes, there's a, there's a guy here that wrote an episode of Star Trek. I'm like, oh, shit, was it Plato's Stepchildren? <laughs> <laughs> Plato's Stepchildren was an episode of the original series where I literally put a bucket over my head rather than have to discuss it, because it was not that. However, if you want to see uh, William Shatner give a uh, little person a piggyback ride... This is the episode for you. You are ready for that one. Right. (laughs) Uh, But we are here to talk about a much better episode. We are. So let's do that. Uh, We open the show with a summary of the episode, so uh, you'll forgive us if we read from a thing. We promise we'll try to make eye contact. Nothing more entertaining than watching two guys read from stuff. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so uh, the Enterprise is attacked by a giant flying Z. Or Zed. Yes, or Zed, Mr. Canadian. Fine. <laughs> because apparently the show is sponsored by the letter Z. Or Zed. Or Zed this week. Thank and the number one. Because they're always sponsored by the number one. That's what Riker does with his poker winnings every week. So the, so the space letter sprays Picard in the face with ancient memories and secret wishes, and he wakes off in a faraway planet called, called Catan, living with a village of settlers. 
Surrounded by, a mis- <laughs> surrounded by a mysterious, beautiful house and beautiful wife, Picard, or Cayman as he is now known, can only ask, how did I get here? <laughs> and there he stays. Time passes, seasons change, some jerk rips the pages off the calendar, and suddenly it's five years later. JLP has finally given up on that bizarre spaceship dream he had and becomes involved in helping his new home to overcome a drought. He's developed a passion for astronomy, for learning to play the flute, and for enjoying a delicious soup that his wife makes. (laughs) According to Memory Alpha, the definitive Star Trek wiki as far as we know, a scene was deleted from this episode, a scene in which we are told the name of this delicious soup, but alas, it didn't make it on screen, so it ain't canon. But, tempting though that soup might be, Cayman's life continues onward. More years pass, clocks tick, the sun rises and falls in a montage, Fry's dog dies, and Picard is suddenly a very old man who has spent a very long time trying to save his planet from being very destroyed by a very slowly approaching supernova. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, mere moments have passed while the crew try to revive Picard and remind us that they're on this show, too. (laughs) Back on the planet, he's advanced from the alphabet song to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star after only about 20 years, and his children now have children of their own. Meanwhile, the sun is still exploding. Thank you, Matt. The people of Cayman's world, knowing that the end is nigh, launch a small ship into space. For some reason, the ship does not contain an infant that that will develop fantastic powers upon his arrival to Earth, which is just weird. No, it's that Z, or Z, fine, or Z, that we saw at the beginning of the episode, which now terminates the elaborate simulation of 50 years of life in the captain's brain. He awakens on the bridge of the Enterprise, surrounded by tall beardo, pretty doctor, guy with air filter attached to his face. It's all so faint. Those memories, is he Picard? Was he Cayman? He resolves to never publicly talk about the most important life-altering events that he's ever been a part of ever again. Thankfully, the probe delivers the only truly important part of that planet, his flute. So he sits pondering alone in his ready room, playing a wistful tune and fondly remembering it all. His wife, his children, his grandchildren, old friends, ineffectual mare characters, and that soup. That delicious, nourishing soup. But what the hell was it called? (laughs) So this is the point in the show where we stop reading and actually have a discussion. Uh Um... The easiest way we've found to to lead nicely into a discussion is to pick a good thing and a bad thing each. What we liked about the episode, what we didn't like about the episode. It's hard for an episode like this because it was so fantastic, yeah. but we're we doing our best. We still managed to find something, especially now that we know that the guy who wrote the episode isn't here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, why don't you start with your good thing? So, I love the end reveal of this episode. We get we get through Picard's entire life, and he's now 80, 90 years old. You know, he's living with his his kids and his grandkids and everything and they go out into the world one last time and he sort of looks around and people start coming out of the woodwork and just there's my dead wife there's my dead friend oh crap i was that captain guy from 60 years ago this is really embarrassing it was it was like the end of a twilight zone in a really good way it absolutely was without the broken glasses or uh pig people (laughs) there was time now matt Um, yeah, everyone comes out like the end of a play and sort of takes a bow. Yeah, basically. And, and, and Do you remember this voice, Captain? <laughs> I worked at the supermarket. Here's the thing. He sold the soup. <laughs> Here's, he knows what it was called. <laughs> Here's the thing. Every week on the show, we keep trying to have original points, new things to say, and every week we come back to, Patrick Stewart is such a great actor. What really? a shock. Really? Yeah, but really, the the moment where he has that realization, where it's like, oh my god, I was right. Yeah. It's, he, it, it's me, isn't it? 
And he, he almost like, I'm coming, Elizabeth, but actually good. <laughs> it's a, he's got the look in his eye. He's got the, oh, oh my God, that, just, that life was real. I what? knew it. Yeah. And just the, the total mind-blowing revelation. I don't have revelation. to be 80 anymore. <laughs> now I'm back to 60, 60 in the prime of my life. Well, I will say, we don't exactly know how old Picard is. That's true. But when he first shows up on the planet, he's got this sleeveless tunic. Dude is ripped. He's so ripped. He's got these arms. Like, where did those yeah. come from? Certainly not from lifting flutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also love uh, the only character we have ever met in this entire series. Uh, and we've been watching... The, you know, all of it. Yeah, this is episode 117, so we've yeah. been along for a while now. The only person who has not desperately craved Picard's approval is his actual kid. <laughs> this is one of our long-running jokes where, okay, yeah, Picard's a father figure or whatever, but really, we have this thing, Riker's got a whole dad issue thing, but we did a, an episode a few weeks ago, what was it? Uh, not just cloaked phased. Uh, no, I think it was called the next phase. Oh, whatever. Um, where Ensign Rowe thinks she's dead. Um, she's invisible. She's walking around the ship. And she walks into Picard's ready room, and there's this great scene where she looks at him, and she says, uh, even even when I'm dead, even when you can't hear me, I, I just hope you're proud of me. And he, that's, he wasn't. And <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, is Picard is total like everyone on the show, their motive is to make Picard proud of them. And we finally get his actual kid who's just, no, nah, sorry, Dad, I'm going to go become a hippie. <laughs> and the kid was played by his actual son, yes. by uh, Daniel Stewart, which yep. was pretty cool. He actually didn't do too bad a job. No, it was pretty good. His accent was kind of all over the place. Like, yeah. Sometimes he sounded American, sometimes, sometimes he sounded he English. Sounded, definitely didn't sound Catanian. No, terrible Catanian mm. accent, but that was, uh, that was okay. Um, so uh, let's talk about your bad thing. Yeah, this is my bad thing. Um, we, we talked about the fact that the episode cuts, keeps cutting back to the Enterprise, and I, through the entirety of that episode, just can't... can't help think how awful an idea that is. It, it, it feels like it's just there to keep people aware of the fact that, oh yeah, we've got all these other guys. Remember Riker? He was here too. And it just, it cuts, it cuts away from what's actually happening, which is this guy's developing life over his, the, over you know, 50, 60 years. And it just, it ruins it for me. So do you think it should have just followed Picard and we would have gotten that same mind-blowing... My, uh, my pre- preference would be, you know, you know, if we never come back to the Enterprise crew. <laughs> ever? Because I kind of like the show. No, we, look, we've got about two years left of the show. We go to the end of the planet, we blow the planet up, and then we just show an empty star field for the, that, for the rest of the year. That puts us much closer to Voyager, and I kind of like that we got a little space between now and then. God, I hope we didn't lose any Voyager fans. <laughs> um, I just lost my train of thought. No, um, I I just think that if we had if we had learned the same time as he did that it was all just this dream thing or whatever, it would have been a lot more powerful. On the I went back and forth on this because on the other hand, well, we talked about it a lot. We have. Um, on the other hand. We need something to cut back to so that we can then cut to the planet again and see that he's getting older. That's why you have calendars that you can tear pages off of. You just have them in the corner. I, I don't think... I think they've evolved beyond your Earth calendars I by t- the 24th century, i got to say. Mm-hmm. Also, really, the idea that this entire 50 years, 60 years, whatever, is unfolding in mere minutes. Mm-hmm. In, in, you know, uh, when he gets back, they say 24 minutes or something like that, is... It, it, you understand that wow this is you know this is a real mind blowing thing this whole thing is playing out in his head but it's not real it's you know see I, th- I feel like that could work a lot better if he just wakes up and goes how long was I out for but 15 minutes well shit <laughs> <laughs> that's one we only get three. Oh man um 
But then that comes off as like, oh, it was just a dream, and that that feels a little cheap. I to think me. there's a way to talk, to work around that. Just you know, the the writing on that one's good enough that we can you know they could have figured out a better way to do it than just than just having the crew doing a constant countdown. I suppose that's true. On, on the other hand, cutting back to the crew, it's interesting that Troy's not there. Yeah, the you'd one think person that would have come up at some point. We got the captain in a coma here. Maybe it'd be nice if we had a psychic person. Yeah, there's something going on in his brain. Maybe <laughs> somebody who could pick up on that. Nah. Has anyone seen her? Yeah, she's faced out on a chocolate sundae down in 10 forward. <laughs> We're beyond the point in the series well, where she's just sensing pain, and now she, her, her only characteristic is that she likes chocolate. She likes chocolate, and she has a mother. Yep. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's talk about my good thing. Yes, tell us about your good thing. Huh? I will. I will tell you that thusly. Um, okay, when you look at it on paper, this is actually a really kind of a stupid idea. Uh, a, a guy lives a whole life inside his head, and it's all a dream. And it's like, I don't know. I can see about 50 ways they could screw this up. But it works, and it works because it's written as a Picard episode, because our favorite episodes are character-driven, mm-hmm. and this episode could have only happened to Picard. You get the great loneliness of command, and then what if you had a life? What if you had children? What if you had a family? This is how it would have played out. This is, if you hadn't been so obsessed with your career, you would have this. Yeah. And, and it was very cool. Um, that's really the only thing he had in uh, common with Kirk. Well, that and their love of horses. Apparently. Oh, the, the love of horses that Kirk all the time had. Yeah, remember all those episodes where he was horsing around and stuff? And then like, and then in Generations, it pays off. It's yeah. like, I love horses, so do you. We're, we can be best friends now. Right. And then he gets and crushed he, to the bridge. And then a rock fell on him. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there soon enough. But the fact is, it, this could not have worked with any other character. It couldn't have been a Riker episode. It couldn't no. have been a Beverly episode. It I, had I, to be a Picard episode. I would have loved them doing a Kirk episode like this. He would have punched his way out of that dream in the second act. Mm. <laughs> no, no, you're, you, you've lived here for years. Fuck you. <laughs> That's one. That, that would have worked. That is also true. You know it. Cayman, <laughs> Cayman, you've had sex with every woman on the planet. Well... If I live here, I'm going to make the rounds. And it's only 2.30. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention was the age makeup. Which oh, this, yeah. This was one of the three episodes on the Blu-ray sampler that came out a few years ago. And you got a really good look at... And it's not a really visually interesting episode, but you still get the nice, like, the, the crispness of the uniforms. Mm. And it looks great, and I can't wait for these, these better seasons to be out on Blu-ray. But the... The makeup, which sometimes wasn't great in the early nineties, we've seen a lot of their age makeup, you know, in the other episodes, and it is not very good. That or some of the alien makeup, particularly the early Klingons, you could kind of—I mean, it's like these guys you see in the con where they just kind of throw a forehead on and walk around, and uh, yeah, that looks natural. That's that's great, top notch. Um, There's nobody like that here, is there? Yeah, she's working the camera. Oh God. Thank you, Kim. She's not working the camera anymore. But um, in the Blu-ray, it stands up. And and you get the whole progression. You get what what he goes through. The, The first time we skip... Five years or whatever, he's got a bit of a Lithgow, Lithgow-esque look to him, I would say. A bit John Lithgowy. Uh, next time you come back, five, ten years, uh, very Doc Brown. Definitely a bit of Doc Brown <laughs> vibe there. <laughs> then we cut away, we cut back. Bit witchy looking, I would say. Bit of a bit of a witch vibe going on there. Then we come back, and Billy Crystal from The Princess Bride. There is no other comparison. <laughs> look at that. And then finally, one last time, he looks like he drank from the wrong grail. 
he chose poorly. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Can we please not play the clip of him playing the flute at the end? I'm serious. It's In all seriousness, we watched this episode five, six, seven times. At the very least. Prepping for this panel. And every time we get to that scene at the end, he's playing the flute. He gets alone in his ready room. He's thinking about what happened. And he starts playing the flute. And it's so wistful. And every time, every time, I tear up. And the thing is, we want to win you guys over. We're a comedy show. Crying in front of you may not be the best way to win you over. <laughs> Probably what? not going to want to see my quote then. We pick a we pick a quote from every episode, and I'm not looking forward to this. Oh God. <laughs> You think I'm faking this? It's all right. I am not. Oh, boy. Let's talk about my bad thing. Yeah, that should change the subject. <laughs> Matt, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, muffin. <laughs> Is that still going? <laughs> I can't do this like this. It would be way better if you were playing Play That Funky Music, White Boy. Mm. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, I can't really find an inroad to bashing Troy for the 23rd week in a row, as much Shockingly. as I would like. Seriously, we need to we need to retire that. Troy cannot be our our bad thing anymore. It's just too easy. It is just too easy. Um, instead, I I lost my place. That's what the uh, very very professional the, uh, primitive stuff. Uh, no, it's not actually. Oh. I don't know. I don't know what it is. No, we have. Uh, yeah, we have this planet. That has this advanced technology. They have the Zed <laughs> that can shoot memories Thank into you. you. But then, but then we're on the planet, and it's like they're dressed like the Flintstones. They got they, they got these doors. Oh, I love these. That I think his name is Daniel Stewart. We can't stop calling him Patrick Stewart Jr. Yep. Um, can't fit through. He's too tall. <laughs> they haven't even perfected door technology, and yet they can shoot memories into mm-hmm. your head. That's a. That's I, a little... I love the fact that they have that they have created the automatic door, but they have not cre- thought of the door that just slides in. It's got to swing open. Yeah, like it's, your supermarket. It's like a no. It's like a normal Earth door, like these doors. You, you push it, and it just opens. Mm-hmm. That really doesn't seem like much of a convenience. Yep. I think you've saved about three seconds of time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that'll come in handy when they're protecting the village from uh, Patrick Stewart Jr.'s rampage. I suppose that's true. I, no, my actual bad thing was, and this we've talked about this a few times, the limitations of early 90s syndicated TV mm-hmm. were you couldn't continue a thread from one episode to the next. You had to, you had to make it so that when they showed the syndicated episodes out of order, people could just jump in. And the problem with that, as we touched on in our summary, is... This is a mind-blowing thing. Yeah. He lived a whole other life, and they could never talk about it again. It's like, next week, he's fine. Yeah. Which is... Ugh. Like, we come back to it, what, one more time when he, There's, when he goes and hides in a Jeffrey's tube with some woman so we can jam? Yeah, that's pretty much it. There's a, there's a flute episode. Yeah. But there's really not a, another, oh, my God, my mind was blown uh, episode. I mean, it, it's weird because, you know, all TV is so serialized now that, like, this would have been a huge deal. But, you know, you just move on to the next thing. Right. And this has happened a few times. I mean, obviously, Picard went through the whole Locutus thing. Mm-hmm. He he murdered thousands of people. Never talked well, about I that. Mean, again. I that mean, was, it comes up in first contact. That was important enough that we used a whole episode on it. So. And then he wrestled in the mud and everything yes. was fine. Um, <laughs> but that should be with him. He should be waking up with, with nightmares or something mm-hmm. like that. Then we got this. Then we got uh, an episode where Geordi was brainwashed. 
And we end with him talking to Troy like it was it's terrible. Actually, I don't remember. Like, it's a really creepy kind of chilling ending where he's just like, yeah. but I, I, I was sure I did everything. It was all so real. And the, that next, great LeVar Burton, yeah. it's all so real. Next week, at, next week, hey, Data, how's it going? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, again, because they couldn't be serialized. But this was, this was a big deal to me. This mm-hmm. was something they should have come back to. And they, they just never did, mm. which is unfortunate. I uh, think... Oh, now it's time for my quote. Which, oh, yeah, give us your quote. Yeah, it's okay. going to be less tear-jerking than mine. Oh, well, mine requires a little bit of setup. I don't know why this is funny. I really don't. It's something that just struck me. I watched this, and it just delighted me every time. <laughs> and uh, Bob, could you, uh, could you hit that? Happy day, everybody. It's time to go see the launching. What launching? What's he talking about? Sending up a missile, Father. We are going to watch it. Well, I'm not going anywhere to watch anything. Come on, Gamey. Hurry up now. Let's go see the launching. Something about his delivery there. Let's go see the launching. <laughs> He's going to a launching. It just felt like a, like a British kids show. Like, hello, boys and girls. We're going to see a launching. And after that, we're going to teach you how to build puppets out of t- out of t- out of uh, popsicle sticks. <laughs> I remember what they're called now. <laughs> the know, puppets. We got one right here. Ice. <laughs> I I don't know. That just that just delights me for some reason. The problem is this is such a serious and poignant episode. Yeah. We try to usually pick something funny. Or something that sabotages the other person. That would be my preference. Yes. That would be his preference. Uh, that it's really hard to pick out. A, there's no funny lines. There's, yeah. there's nothing to pick. And that one really was it. It was mm. launching, but that, yeah. And the, the worst comes to worst, go with the funny accent. Yeah, always. <laughs> we built an empire around that. Basically, yes. So I believe that's that's all the points yep. we had. Do you do you concur? I think that's everything I wanted to touch on with this one. Very well. Uh, we should then press forward to the next episode, Time's Arrow. Time's Arrow, part one. Part one. All right, let's kick off. Earth, the first frontier. And the Enterprise finds itself back there yet again. We were literally just here seven episodes ago. You're supposed to be out there exploring the galaxy. Seriously, the Enterprise is like that kid that goes off to college to learn about the world and then comes back on the weekend to get his laundry done. (laughs) This week, the laundry in question is Data's disembodied head. (laughs) That metaphor kind of got away from me there. So there's a hole underneath San Francisco. There's a Data's head in the hole in the ground in San Francisco on the Earth in the Alpha Quadrant at the bottom of the (laughs) sea. So now we know the following. Data will one day go back in time for some reason, then lose his head. And the senior staff are freaked out because he's mortal. So they were totally fine with their inhuman, super strong, super smart robot pal that when he was hypothetically going to live forever. But now that he's discovered a thing that's actually going to make him more like them, they're freaked out. Anyway, so the Enterprise goes back to college, uh, space, and Jordy finds a microbe on old Data's head. He figures out that it only appears in a very specific type of mud found on a very specific type of planet somewhere over there somewhere. So the game is afoot, Watson, and off the Enterprise goes to find it. They arrive at the planet, and Picard won't let Data leave because he might scrape his knee or something. But Data goes anyway because they find a magic portal, and only he can enter. First, Data sees some ghosts, and then he's whisked back in time to the Victorian era, just like on every third Doctor Who episode ever. (laughs) Only he's in America, San Francisco specifically, uh, where we don't believe in Queen Victoria. We just call it 1890-whatever. 
So Dana immediately applies all those lessons he learned from, about poker from Commander Riker and then bilks some rubes out of their hard-earned scratch. Uh, sorry, wrong era slang. Anyway, the rubes in question are an American Indian stereotype and the bastard offspring of Gul Dukat and Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained. Hey, let's, let's pause for a moment, because really. <laughs> anyway, so Data camps at a, at a hotel where he explains that his ghostly pallor and odd manner of speaking are the results of his getting his head caught in a mechanical rice picker. Uh, if you're an original series fan, trust me, that's hilarious. I think they got that. <clears throat> he applies his substantial winnings to buying various machine parts, Presumably so he can invent the movie camera, the light bulb, and a bunch of other stuff that Edison stole anyway. Somewhere Nikola Tesla weeps quietly. Like you're in a flute. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> now that's it. That's the trigger word, flute. That's all it takes now. That's going to come um, handy. <laughs> then Data fortuitously sees a newspaper article informing him that Guinan is here for some reason. They have a private chat about space in the future while Mark Twain, a.k.a. Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Colonel Sanders, a.k.a. Richard Bachman, eavesdrops. He's immediately discovered, however, by the telltale reek of the white suit that he hasn't removed in 20 years. Which is actually true. He, he wore that white suit and never took it off. Meanwhile, back in the present, that is also the future, most of the senior bridge crew, literally everyone who gets to be in the credits, credits except for Worf, who had to stay home and feed Data's cat, <laughs> have transported down to the ghost cave that Data disappeared from. From and head through the time portal because why the hell not? To be continued. Da 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 dun 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 dun. Bow. <laughs> Matt Robotham, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. So uh, tell us about your good thing. <laughs> this is a funny friggin' episode. Like I love the whole uh, fish out of water thing. You know, and Trek does it really well. They did a great in Star Trek Four. They did a great in City on the Edge of Forever. Data wandering around 1890s. Uh, San Francisco, and it is always San Francisco. There is no other city on Earth. <laughs> is just adorable. I love his whole uh, his whole explanation of why he looks completely freaky. It's, oh yes, I am a Frenchman. <laughs> the, uh, the the coneheads approach, Makes which seems to me. work well. Yep. I love, and, but he, like even before that, the scenes in the actual Enterprise are hilarious. There's like there's this bit where uh, where uh, Troy and uh, Riker are discussing how terrified they are about Data being dead, and he wanders up, and they both shut up. And he goes, I've noticed that people on the ship tend to be uh, shutting up every time I walk past. Does anyone know why that is? Oh, Data, we're sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, watching these episodes as we have been in order, it, it's interesting to see Data's progression. Of course, we got season one Data who takes everything literally. Who, he's got that thing where he lists off, oh, gumshoe, detective, Private Dick, and oh God, that is the that worst joke ever. Ten minutes of the episode. Yeah, exactly. And he's gradually progressed about oh, I must understand humans. To he knows how to handle them now. Yeah, it, there's this kind of subtle psychology, and uh, there's this great scene with uh, with Jordy, where Jordy's freaked out. And and Matt pointed out not too long ago that Jordy and Data are best friends, much like uh, Troy and Abed on Community. <laughs> if you see any shirts or cups with that on it, it was my idea. They owe me money. He totally coined uh, Jordy and Data in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there, there's a great bit where they're talking, and uh, I believe, do we have that clip? Yep. So, do you want to talk about it? Are you referring to the foreknowledge of my death? Yeah. I have no particular desire to discuss the matter. Do you need to talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, he gets human psychology now. He's like, before Data would be like, 
no, let's not discuss it and move on. And then leave. Yeah, but now he's like, oh, no, this this is my Jordan's friend. Jordan's upset about something. Yeah. I'll probably try and fix this. Right, and it's, it really shows how far the character has come, which is fantastic. It's, it's like, if, you, if they had done an episode where Data had gotten sent back in time in the first season, it would have ended right like that when he would have been, no, I'm an android. Right. Excuse me. No, I am an android. Yeah, no, no contractions, yeah. Matt. <laughs> or should I say lore? <laughs> You're not going to cry now, are you? No. <laughs> there, and, but the thing is, this extends to them being in the past, where, like you said, he, he just blends in. He immediately answers their questions, very deftly deflecting anything about, I'm from the future, yes. I'm a robot, whatever. It's like, oh, you're working on one of them automobiles, huh? Is that uh, what you think it is? Is that what it looks like I'm doing? Yes. <laughs> and um, there's just a lot of uh, people asking him what the deal is. And like you said, the, yeah. the Frenchman thing. Yep. And he just he immediately figures out, oh, this is where I am. This is, you know, this is the deal. And, and I can work with this. I can okay, roll with it. Tie. He's better than, than Spock was. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't use the, uh, the point that Matt brought up about the uh, rice picker. Well, as much as I love Spock, he was kind of a jerk. <laughs> he was a bit of a jerk. <laughs> Uh, you got weird ears there. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what about your bad thing? Oh, uh, my bad thing. It's here somewhere. Snake. Oh, yeah. The, sna- the, the problem with this episode is we have the evil alien race that are going back in time to another planet to steal the souls of hobos. <laughs> like I said, Doctor Who all the way. And listen, I like Doctor Who. Some of my best friends are Doctor Who podcast hosts. Uh-huh. But it is so sort of over the top campy. It is just not a Star Trek idea. It's such a like it's just such a weird thing to go through. Yeah, we eat, well, we eat human souls, specifically prospectors, <laughs> and the only place we can get them is this one planet a long time ago. So we're going to make a hole and go there. And they wave, they, they basically wave these, like, sticks with, like, snake heads on the top. And it's like this thing I had when I was three of a shark that was, you would squeeze the thing and it would go. <laughs> That's not scary. It's a little bit scary. Yeah, but you're afraid of plastic. <laughs> that flute is, is hand-carved. No, In, no, incidentally. make you weep. Plastic makes you cry. That's true. <laughs> incidentally, the, the guy who, uh, who wrote that episode uh, does have replicas of that flute upstairs. He mm-hmm. did ask me to mention that, and uh, he's at table N19, and now I can put this card away. Yes. <laughs> and shockingly not here. Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so you got a quote for us? I do indeed have a quote for you. Um, one of my favorite... One of my favorite scenes in this episode is just before that other Eric time I was talking about where uh, Deanna basically sums up how Data views friendship. It's basically adorable. It's totally adorable. Have you ever heard Data define friendship? No. How did he put it? As I experience certain sensory input patterns, my mental pathways become accustomed to them. The inputs eventually are anticipated and even missed when absent. <laughs> that little head shake. We don't have a whole lot of good things to say about Troy, but well, the thing, that, the, she is cute as a button. The, thing, the point we've made repeatedly is she really is a good actress. Yeah. The character has so much potential. It's really the writing. Marina Sirtis is, is amazing. Yeah, she's really good when they... When the they character t- just does not have anything to do most of the time, except, you know... Make people wonder why she's not doing things that would make the episode go a lot easier. How come we never figured out this guy was a bad guy? Troy, where were you? Oh, I was downstairs again. Mm. Chocolate, I think yeah. you heard. Um, the, the funny thing, you were talking about the, um, 
Actually, no, we were talking about that before the panel. Mm. That was the worst segue I've ever done. <laughs> I am famous for my terrible segues. Yes, the thing we were talking about when no one was around. Yeah, at the table where no one could even yes. hear us. Is just how normal it is. The, the, the Star Trek universe is adorable in how, like, how used to insanity everyone is. There, after Data and Jordy, after jo- Data leaves to go back to the bridge, Jordy, Guinan comes up behind Jordy and says, what were you guys talking about? That was kind of weird. Oh, nothing. We found Data's head buried under San Francisco. Apparently been there for 400 years, you know. No big deal. There, there's a so moment. What's the lunch special today? <laughs> there's a moment in the uh, in the Abrams movie, which is pretty much the same, where uh, Spock Prime, as they call him, uh, uh, shows up and talks to Scotty. And there's maybe two lines, and Scotty looks at him and says, "Are you from the future?" Like because they just move he's on. From the future. Yeah, of course. Obviously, let's move I'm on. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Now these, we can actually talk about things that matter. But but these guys have just seen this stuff so much. You, ha- you have a universe that is apparently full of spaceships that are constantly encountering the weirdest crap anyone has ever seen, ever. So, yeah, the fact that you found your buddy's head under a city, uh, not that big a deal. we got kind of more important stuff to do. The Romulans are up to something this week. Right, exactly. <laughs> and the nice thing about that scene with Guinan is she knows how to eavesdrop. Yes. Um, unlike some characters. Unlike some characters. <laughs> <laughs> so my good thing, Matt and I were absolutely amazed to discover that this was the first proper time travel episode that Next Gen did. We're, we're at the end of season five, and they managed not to, to milk this trope yet. I mean, that's what Voyager's for. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, <laughs> Again, if we hadn't lo- <laughs> haven't lost the Voyager fans, if there's any Voyager fans in the audience, we're not sorry. No, we're, <laughs> we're not. Um, but they hadn't done a proper adventure to the past episode yet. They've done time loops, time anomalies, whatever. They've done basically every kind of time thing except for going back to the legitimate past. Just going to a historical area, an area, a historical, a, a historical area, area, a historical area, and just playing around, having fun, doing a uh, fish out of water thing. Mm. And he's absolutely right. It was it was fantastic. And I'm often accused on our podcast. I. I don't like when they try to be funny and fail. They kind of fall on their You're ass. You're not a and big fan of any of the wacky sort of premises. At Rascals, where they all turn into kids. Not not a big fan. I, I've been accused of hating whimsy. I, I just I am anti whimsy. I am uh, no. But something about Data wandering around in the past is just delightful to me. Some, mm-hmm. Something about seeing the crew playing around in this. You know, in, in this world that you know they don't know how. I mean, they're in San Francisco, which, as we said, is as the only always. city on Earth. I think eventually by the time we get to DS9, we get to go to New Orleans. That's right. it, though. That's the two cities. But we, we sat and thought about this, and really, that's it. Those are the only two cities. They, they go to Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. They do this. Then they go back to Starfleet Academy, and that's it. If you can't see the Golden Gate Bridge, there is nowhere on Earth you can go. Nope. Which is so, really strange. <laughs> hope you enjoy that. Yeah. Come to San Francisco. Literally the only place we have. <laughs> well, we don't know what happened. No. During World War III, everything else was wiped out. Exactly. San Francisco, New Orleans... I think Paris. No, it was actually a... Um, it was Paris. Thank no, you. it was holographic. Well, actually, I think you'll find... <laughs> nope. <laughs> we went to the Picard Vineyard, which was in Le Bair, France, but uh, Paris was a holographic representation. And now I'm losing the people who don't want to listen to the well actually guy. <laughs> so sorry. Moving on. Uh... My bad thing. Yeah, why don't you tell us about your bad thing? Let's. Uh, I feel like I should call out this episode for the constant reliance on 
on coincidence, on, as I said, data, discovering a newspaper article about Guinan. Oh, look, here's, wow, Guinan, that's great. Sure is a good thing I found this newspaper you were in. That would have slowed the plot down completely otherwise. Right. But there's something I really need to call this episode out for that is just, it's terrible. And really, those of you with, with children in the audience, you may want to cover their ears if you didn't catch the warning. Because I'm about to say a lot of fuck words. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. That's him. That's the guy right yeah, there. Yeah, sorry, bud. Sorry. Samuel motherfucking Clemens. Okay, I, I fancy myself a comedy writer. At least I'm trying. As, as an American comedy writer, I'm supposed to love this guy. I'm supposed to be, you know, America's first humorist. Great. Mark Twain. This episode has literally made me hate the actual writer. Mm. <laughs> He's so terrible. He set fire to that uh, Michael Kupperman book I got him for his birthday. Right here. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I go off on these rants. We both go off on these rants. Oh, yeah, totally. Where we, we just really get worked up. And But this one's yours. This is your baby. I don't want to just yell, especially if we're trying to win new people over. I don't want to just get up here and say, this is terrible. Rah! So I, I came up with a list. I have a specific list. I'm going to quantify why I don't like <laughs> <laughs> We're nerds. We make lists. That's what we do. Okay, first, he doesn't add anything to the story at all. He's uh, he's he's there because it's cute to have a famous person there. But Anytime you go back in time, you have to have the one guy who's just like, oh, by the way, I'm this guy. You may remember me from book. Right. <laughs> but the thing is, and they won't reveal this until part two, th there's another one there. Oh, no. And I won't spoil it for those of you who haven't seen this 25-year-old show yet, but uh, <laughs> it's Jack London. <laughs> he just, he keeps, he, he shows up, and this is more part two, but he shows up at the end of every act, in, in part two especially, and he's just like, oh, time travelers, well, I better pull out my pistola and... That's it. That's the so only danger. you thought you were going to go do something, huh? Yeah. Well, now I'll fix it so you get that way. <laughs> they, um... He's just... He's the worst. Okay, and that voice, which we've touched upon now. Time! Time! Time. Just, uh, oh, sorry to eavesdrop, but uh, I'm a dick. <laughs> no, nobody talks like that. If you did... If you did Mark Twain the animated series, it would be a more understated voice than that. He's just... He... I've seen an animated Mark Twain, and he was more uh, subtle than this guy. Where? Uh, that claymation uh, Mark Twain movie that was out a couple of years ago. You know, he, met, he introduced two children to Satan. Oh, right, much right. Much better right. for children. Uh, also, Satan, much better character than Mark Twain. Definitely. We've seen him on Star Trek. That's true. He called himself the Rolliker, which, as we know, is one of <laughs> well, his biggest... Uh, being Rolliker fan name. over there. <laughs> it's, his, uh, it's his biggest nickname. Uh, okay, he comes from a long tradition of busybodies mm. that just like to stick their nose at... You know the old shows like Bewitched or... Uh, what, what's it on? Uh, Small Wonder. Small, Small Wonder, of course, the big hit Anytime that everyone remembers. Anytime you had a neighbor who would do this with blinds? Yeah. He's he's Gladys Kravitz. He's uh, Edie McClurg in uh, Small Wonder. He's Mr. Furley. Furley. Thanks. He's he's Mr. Furley and Mr. Roper, which is just it's just terrible. Oddly enough, in part two, Picard and uh, Jordy are gonna have to convince him that uh, Mark Twain is gay, <laughs> so he can stay in the past. Well, great. Now I'm a hobophobe. Thanks for that. <laughs> Appreciate that. He's just. Having a character stumble on what you're doing and suspecting that you, you're up to no good, it's not, just not interesting. That's just making, you know, fake drama where there was none to begin with. Exactly. He's, he's the least compelling victim 
I have ever victim. Thank you. Yes, he's the victim. He is the victim. I'm the victim. Um, he's the least conv- convincing villain I have ever seen. We got Klingons, we got Romulans, even the snake head alien, whatever the hell they are. And let's be clear here. He is definitely the villain of this episode. Uh, like partially the, in this episode, definitely more. The than amount the next of time one. he spends foiling our guys for no reason other than that apparently he's bored. I guess. I mean, I, I expect him to twirl that mustache and, and try to... Never leave the railroad tracks? Yes. <laughs> he just... He's hes not interesting. He doesn't add anything. He's not like a good foil for anyone. He's, he's just, just awful. And number five, fuck that guy. <laughs> Concise and to the point. Right, and that's three. We get three of those. We're done, so you can uncover your kid's ears now. <laughs> Uh, and I and I believe I've skipped over my quote, Bob. You uh, oh, yeah. you covered for that deftly. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Would yeah. You play that now. Uh, yeah. Why don't you do that since I forget what it is? <laughs> Lady Luck not with you tonight, Mister Lane. Poor fella, hasn't filled the street in five weeks. Poker. <laughs> and the thing is, <laughs> obviously Data has no emotions, and the way Spiner plays it is, is just fantastic. That's the, I mean, one line of dialogue, and we've seen them play poker over and over again. He's, he's learned all these tricks. He knows, you know, I think he probably counts cards when he's not playing with people he yeah, trusts. Absolutely. So he, well, I mean, you it's know. the only way you're going to win if you're playing against a psychic and Riker. Right. Well, the worst psychic in Starfleet, let's yeah, be clear. <laughs> oh, and a guy who has admitted he can see through the cards. Right. Oh, Jordy, right. Yeah. Um, but just, I mean, with one line. I mean, I, I, I heard some laughs out there. Poker? It's, it's just fantastic. He's so great. Yeah. And again, newsflash, Brent Spiner's a good actor. Yeah, that's what you came to this panel to hear. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry? You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, he's he's just fantastic, and uh, and I, I really do enjoy that. So yes, um, so that's basically it. That's our show. Um, we have written an episode guide, um, which we can't get sued for because we are not in Starfleet uniforms. You will notice there. we are most definitely not in Starfleet uniforms. And please, if any of you know Harlan Ellison, that is not the guard, the uh, Guardian that of Forever. Could, that could be any magic time hole. Yes, <laughs> he's not here, is he? Because he is going to punch us so hard. <laughs> We actually have start. Uh, we finished uh, volume two of that, which covers the first four seasons of uh, Next Gen. Yep. If, if you're not into the paper book thing, uh, actually, our pal Bob here has uh, created an app. He's put in an app form, uh, which is free currently uh, for the iPad, mm-hmm. for the iPhone. Get it while you can. Yes, exactly. Or get it later. That's fine too. Yeah, also good. Uh, it has all our reviews. This is not material that's in the show. It's no. all new material that we it wrote. Was, uh, it was really important to us if we were going to do a book. It was going to be entirely new content and not just something you could have read to you online. Right. Which made the audiobook really weird. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but having it in an app form, you get to cross-reference. You get to look. I don't know how many times. We did get James Earl Jones to read it, though. That was nice. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. Um, no, that's actually our voice guy, Dave. Yeah. yeah. I know it's I know it's hard to tell them apart, but. Uh, yes. Um. <laughs> I don't know how many times before we started going through them in order, I would flip through and I would catch an episode and it would be like, have I seen... Okay, Riker doesn't have a beard. It's called Eye of the Beholder. They're all called Eye of the Beholder. I just I really help us. What episode is this? And, and it's a nice little guide for that. It's also great for keeping track of which ones you've seen, which which helps with that. Have I seen this? The, one of the 12 episodes where they're uh, abducted like uh, by aliens and taken off and they have to, I don't know, make a chair it's or something? It's a chair. Okay. Yeah. Right. With an arm. 
Um, so, so it helps with that. Um, as I said, the flute guy yep. is, is uh, upstairs at... Great, i got to use my card again. N19. Um, and that's it. Uh, the, the app is great, though, and thank you for that. It makes up for the Mark Twain thing, almost. <laughs> I'd like to think that one or two of the people who walked in here late come in and say, I don't know who those guys are, but they really hate Albert Einstein. <laughs> Different panel. <laughs> the I hate Einstein is uh, downstairs. Yeah. Um, so that's it. We have a we have a catchphrase on the show. It's a brilliant catchphrase that, that we've devised, we've honed, we, we've tested uh, with focus groups. Matt, for this audience, it is very important that you say your catchphrase. <clears throat> See you, folks. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.